My name is Chris Boyer, and my wife and I, Viviana, we lead the student ministry here, and I'm very pleased to talk to you this morning about a topic that is um, something that most of us here are familiar with if you were raised in the United States, and that is baptism. And so those of us that are members here are like, Chris, we've been baptized. Why, you know, why are we having a lesson on baptism? You know why? Because here at the Lighthouse Church of Christ, baptism is really important. Baptism is really important to us. And if you are a first timer here, you've been, not been here before. And if you're raised here in the United States, you have feelings about baptism. There's something that each one of us here thinks about baptism, whether it came from the Bible or a preacher or it came from your grandmother or your family. We feel something about baptism. And to be honest with you, it's a pretty emotionally charged subject for a lot of people. And I don't know if you agree with that or not. But I don't know how often you've talked about it either with other people to see what they think. And there's a lot of opinions, a lot of different views. And it comes out of the Bible. And we need to look at what the Bible says about baptism. But you know what? There's also even within our membership and a lot of us here, most of us have been baptized, let's say almost all of us maybe have been baptized here at some point or another in our lives. We have sometimes weird superstitions attached to baptism, weird superstitions like, you know, Um, For some of us who are members here, we want to get our kids baptized as soon as possible. We want to see our kids get baptized because we hold baptism as a very important thing. But almost like it's the only thing. Like it's the end of all ends. Like if they could just get baptized, they would be okay. There's not going to be any struggles. If they would just get baptized, they would be a great kid. You know, even the Catholic Church, if you were brought up in, you know, a Catholic upbringing, you know that Catholics, even myself, I was raised an Episcopalian when I was younger. And uh, my parents baptized me when I was an infant. So there's something called infant baptism. And, and I'm sure that many of us here were baptized as we were infants. And, you know, that's an interesting teaching, but at least it shows the rel- how important baptism is that, you know, it, that people think that if you could just baptize someone. Then they would get saved. And that teaching came up a a long time ago. But I'm going to start off this morning by talking to us about those problems, because even some of us in here today, we haven't chosen to get baptized as an adult. We maybe were baptized like I was when I was an infant, but we haven't chosen to get in the water as an adult, as an adult decision. And we're waiting for a feeling or we're afraid that maybe people are going to judge us and or or afraid to come in front of God like and get baptized and go all in like that because you think I'm ashamed of who I am or I don't know if I'm really ready or I don't know if I can live up to the standards of what call, God calls me to. So some of us here are just waiting and waiting, coming to church, been around church for a long time, but you have yet to be baptized. And so today, I really hope that after talking about baptism, that those of us who have been baptized already understand that we'll have a good, healthy perspective about it and we'll understand it better. But then also that those of us who here have not will make a decision that we are going to get baptized and that we're going to align ourselves with the teachings of Jesus. So I want to start off with a character called Nico. Okay, we're going to start off talking about Nico, and I, and I hope to end out with Nico, and, and you guys are going to know who this guy is, Nico. Now, it's important to understand who Nico is in, in relation to his world and his culture, and I think that it can relate to you and I very well. So it's here in John chapter 3 and verse 1. We're going to stay primarily in John today, and we're going to be talking about baptism. So members, I hope you guys don't check out. If you guys are here with us for the first time, I hope you can stay with me. And that I don't lose you. Because I'm going to show you a lot of different scriptures today. I'm going to get into some stuff that might be a little bit more 
um, heady or a little bit deeper. And so if maybe you need to get a pen out or something and take notes, but I hope that you can stay with me here as we go through this. We're going to stay primarily in John chapter three. And it says there now there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, so let's understand who this guy is first. In his culture, in his time, this guy was a Pharisee. Let's, for those of us who don't know what that means, that means he's a religious guy. He knows a lot about the scriptures. He believes in, in God. He believes in the prophets. And he's a teacher like me. Maybe he's like a minister, let's say. He's like a super religious guy who knows the scriptures really well. And it says a ruler of the Jews. So he's a religious guy and he's a ruler. I mean, this guy's in the center of the circle. He's in the inner circle of the circle. This guy is one of the guys that's a decision maker. This guy is a leader. This guy is, you know, in our workplaces, this guy would be, this guy would have clout. This is a thinker. This is someone who, who, you know, definitely we're going to go and go, what does he think about it? So I don't know about you, but for some of us, when we have all eyes on us, we're aware what other people think as we make our decisions and what we say, Right. I know for me personally, I can be very insecure. I mean, I get up here and speak and things, but I'm very insecure about like what people think about what I said or what I did. And sometimes I'll rewind the tape and play it over and over again. So whether you're in a workplace and you're aware of what people are thinking about you, whether you're in a family and in your family, there's there's people who, you know, they, you're aware what your family thinks about the decisions you're making or you're in your high school or college setting where you have friendships and you kind of have a role that you're filling within your little culture that you're a part of, that you're, you're filling a role, that everyone knows what you're thinking and doing. Here it says, now there was a man, I'm sorry, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. So this guy, the Pharisees did not believe in Jesus. They were, I mean, what Jesus was saying, he's like, I'm the only way to God. I am the Messiah that the Old Testament was prophesying about. All those prophets you believe in? Yeah, remember what he said? That's me. He said, that's me. I am the way to heaven. And so this Pharisee, for him to go and like dis, discourse with Jesus, if he's to do something or say something that affirms what this guy says, he's going against his society. He's going against the culture that he's in. He's doing something different than what his family wants him to do. And he's doing something that stands out as different. So this guy comes to him by night. Now, we don't really know why he came by night. I mean, you guys are busy, right? You guys run busy lives, busy schedules. Okay, I feel like our lives are very busy. This guy maybe just was a busy guy. And the only time he could have this good conversation with Jesus is at night. So it might be a coincidence that he talked to Jesus at night. Or maybe they had a really great conversation and it went on into night. Like he just kept talking and talking and going back and forth and they were discoursing. So it could be that. Or it could be that this is um, something that's symbolic for us. That you or me, that we need to understand. The, the, the Bible writer here made us understand that this was at night because we need to understand that Nicodemus was in darkness as of yet. And that you and I, that we're in darkness without Jesus, who is the light. And so the, the, the gospel writer here may have been alluding to that. Or finally, maybe he had great fear of what people would have thought if he was going and aligning himself with Jesus and supporting what Jesus said or connecting himself with this guy, Jesus. And so maybe he was afraid and maybe you can relate to that as a, as a high schooler. You know, if you're in high school or college or even in your workplace, I feel like this happens a lot that we start to we start to fill a mask and we, we we're in society and we know that if we were to do something like, you know, align ourselves with Jesus, what would the rest of our coworkers think? 
If we were to align ourselves with Jesus, what would the rest of our classmates think? And so it could have been one of those reasons or a combination of those. I'm not saying that those are the only ones, but those are some reasons. And thinking about Nicodemus, perhaps he was a little bit timid because of his status and because of who he was. But then he says something incredible. He affirms who Jesus is. He says, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he says something very encouraging to Jesus. He encourages, he basically aligns, he says, hey, Jesus, I... I believe you. I know who you are. I know you're a good guy. I know you're from God. He says, you said you're from God. I believe what you're saying. He, go, he, he supports what he has to say. And some of you may be supporting Jesus, but still coming to Jesus at night. That you're like, I'm down with Jesus. I, I like Jesus, but I'm going to keep it undercover. And I'm not going to come out of the closet. I'm not going to come out and say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, the title of the lesson is going public. There's some things in the Bible that tell us that we need to do in private, like prayer and giving. Those are things that we should be doing in private. But our relationship with God isn't something that was intended to be private. So Jesus answered him after he says this. He comes in Jesus' Jesus' first response here. And Jesus and and Nick, Nico, they go back and forth. We're going to look at the, the, the dialogue they have here, which is an incredible dialogue. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, so here comes that, that, that passage that we all know about, about being born again. And it's really important when Jesus says cannot, like you cannot enter heaven unless you do this or understand this. I think it's pretty important for us to examine those things, don't you? I think that, you know, if you can start to understand where Jesus says you cannot and, you know, we need to learn what that means and try to put it into practice. So Nicodemus says, because to me and you, we're like, okay, well, what does that mean? Nicodemus says to God, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Almost a hint of sarcasm, the way that I read that. That he's like, how? How is a great question. And I appreciate Nicodemus having questions because I'm a man who has a lot of questions. I have more questions than I have answers to. Okay, so I have a lot of questions. So Nicodemus's question here is valid. And then he says something, can he just like go back? I mean, he, obviously he knows, you know, Jesus knows. But he maybe did not understand what Jesus was talking about when he said you need to be born again. So Jesus answered. That's good. Let's go back and forth. Now, Jesus, what does he say? Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus gives something, a prescription, a mandate that says you can't go to heaven unless you can't go to heaven unless you've been born again of water and the spirit. So born of water and the spirit. Let's look at Nicodemus's response to that. Of course, like I'm skipping down a little bit down to verse nine. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? He continues to say, I ask questions. I don't get it. Help me out. Jesus, help me to understand. And Jesus goes on to say about him. It's funny. Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. You know, this is the teacher. This is, and he's like, Don't you understand what I'm telling you? Well, what is he talking about when he talks about water and the spirit? We're going to look over. And this is after Jesus' life, after Jesus' death on the cross and after his resurrection, after his resurrection. And then Jesus ascends to heaven. And then at that point, after he ascends to heaven, this is the point where they have the first church service. Or this is the opening of this new promise that we have to have a relationship with God. After Jesus leaves earth, we have this new opportunity. It's called the new covenant. 
And this new covenant comes in in the first day of church. This guy named Peter, he opens the church. And when he opens the church, he goes into this place in Jerusalem. There's this festival going on. It's a Jewish festival. It's called the Feast of Engathering or the Pentecost. And there, during this festival, there's like, you know, million people, millions of people or whatever. It's just like this filled city. And this guy stands up and starts to preach about Jesus, his death on the cross, and how we, you and I, are responsible for that death on the cross and that he was from God. And so the people respond and they're like, okay, we, we believe that. So what are we supposed to do now that we know that Jesus was from God, that his death was on the cross for us? Now what are we supposed to do? And he replies and tells them a very simple prescription or tells them really clearly what he's supposed to do. This is the first time that we see this. He says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is a, the, the first time that this has been prescribed, that you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when you're baptized, when you're submerged in the water. This, this term baptism is actually like a ship sinking in other Greek literature. And, and the way that you and I use the word baptism, this is a transliteration. This is a word that they didn't convert a new word and find a new word in English that we can use, let's say. It's a word that was just transliterated, that we just got basically the Greek word, and they called it baptism. And it could be a, a, a ship sinking in the Greek. It could be things being dipped. It could be things being scrubbed or cleaned or washed. And so those are some of the, the terms that he said. Repentance means to change, to turn away from. And so you, you were living one way. Now you need to change your life and live another, which is when you found out about Jesus' death on the cross, and be baptized. And he says, how many people there need to do that? Every one of you. Everyone needs to. Everybody needs to get baptized. And Jesus had been in the presence of those individuals who were there. He said, every one of you need to be baptized. This is the promise. This is the new covenant. This is a promise from God for you to enter into a relationship with God. So really clearly, if, if, if I've lost you already, just focus in on the statement. If you're new here today and you're like, well, I don't know. This is crazy. He's going all this detail. Okay, check this out. Here's a statement that you can hang on to. You can write it down. You can text it. You can tweet it. I'd appreciate it if you did. Tag me, Boyer Surfs. Okay? Baptism is when the Spirit is given and forgiveness is granted. Baptism is when the Spirit is given and forgiveness is granted. And what I'm saying by that is it doesn't happen before you're baptized. That's the, the implication of that is you didn't receive it unless you were baptized as a repentant follower of Jesus and you haven't yet got it. So if you're baptized an infant, if you're baptized and you didn't really know what that meant, if you're baptized and it wasn't by faith, baptism is when the spirit is given and forgiveness is granted. So guess what? If you're a guest here today, you are really lucky. You just skipped through the entire series and you got like the end of the road. I, I took you to the punchline right now. You just got the punchline. Everything that all of us in here are going to try to tell you at some point or another, here's the punchline that you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. And so let's skip back, back. Let's go back into John chapter 3, where we started. And this is the most famous quotation that I know of. To me, this is the most famous quotation. I don't know of a scripture in the Bible that's quoted more to this, and especially during uh, game season, football season. We'll know this one. John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
very famous passage, and people use this a lot to say, you just need to believe in Jesus. But do you know who the audience in John chapter 3 that he's speaking to here is? Well, we started there earlier today, so let's see if you're paying attention. The first person, it was Nico, remember? The conversation with Nico. He's having this conversation with this Pharisee, a ruler, and he says you need to be born again, and you can't enter heaven unless you're born of water and the Spirit. And then he goes on just shortly after that and says this, in this conversation, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that Nicodemus, you need to align yourself with me. And if you don't align yourself with me, whoever doesn't, they're going to be condemned. That's what he's saying, is that I am the only way into heaven. It doesn't say that you don't need to be baptized here in this conversation. It doesn't tell that. In fact, it would tell me just the opposite because he was talking to Nicodemus during this passage. So he goes on and says, whoever doesn't believe in me uh, will be condemned. But I wanted to share with you guys, uh, this scripture reminded me of something that I just want to read you. And I didn't want to put it on the screen to take you another place, another stop along our journey today. I don't want to confuse you, but God really loves people. That's what I see. God so loves the world. God loves you. He loves our unbaptized friends. He loves every atheist. He loves every politician. He loves every terrorist and every president. God loves every one of us in here and every one of us who didn't make it here today. God so loved the world. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verses 10 through 12, there's this amazing passage that's from the Old Testament that it quotes. And it says, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. He says he's going to be merciful towards us. From the least of us to the greatest of us. That there's no one else necessary. That you don't need a preacher up here. That you, that you can be connected with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. That you have an opportunity to be in a right relationship with God. That he wants to forgive our iniquities. He wants to forgive your iniquities. God so loved the world. And so God loves us so much. But Jesus, what he wants, he wants us to go public. You guys know that term, going public? You know what it meant when Facebook went public? You guys know that term? I mean, that, that term kind of like, when I heard this, the term this, I was like, oh, okay, where are we going with this? What are we doing with this? Going public. Jesus wants us to go public with our relationship with him. And here further down in John chapter 3, he goes on with Nicodemus after he says, you know, that I basically, God loved the world and he sent his son. Okay? But anyone who doesn't believe in his son is condemned. And he goes on to say this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. He says, you know what? Light's coming to the world. That's me. That's like God has sent me. But men love darkness. That's when you're sinning against God, when you're doing things that you don't want to change up. And when you see what Jesus has done and what Jesus says, and it really is in contrast to the way you're living your life, it hurts. It's hard. It's hard to come into the light and say, you know what? I haven't been doing what's right. I've been looking at pornography. I've been smoking. I've been drinking. I've been hurting my family. I've been hurting my wife. I've been stealing. I've been lying to come into the light. But it says, whoever does what's true comes into light so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. 
when you're doing what's right, when you're in a right relationship with God, you love to walk in the light and you never want to be in darkness. I mean, each one of us deep in our hearts, we have a tendency to love darkness. We have a tendency to want to cherish our sin or, or hold on to our sin. But Jesus tells us that we need to walk in the light. We need to live transparent lives. We need to live transparent lives in the light. And that is going public. So there's this guy right after this in John chapter 3. And they reference him. His name is, is the baptizer. You guys know who I'm talking about? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he came before Jesus actually. And, and he's introed in John chapter 1, and we're in John chapter 3 right now, but he's introed in John chapter 1, and before Jesus starts his ministry, this guy's going around, and he's like the first baptizer. He's the first actual baptizer. He's baptizing people, but Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet or anything like that. So he's baptizing people for a baptism of repentance. And then this one day, Jesus walks up to this guy, and Jesus says, I need to be baptized by you. And so what? I'm a sinner. John says, I, I don't even deserve to tie your shoes and you want me to baptize you. So we have the sinner who's going to baptize the sinless, that he has no sin and he's going to baptize him. And this, if any of us have known the Bible or gone around a little bit, we're like, why did Jesus need it? Well, in their terms, it says to fulfill all righteousness. That's why. And, and in this case, you know, you got to think John was controversial. And there was people going out to get baptized for him. And the Pharisees were standing there and John's looking at the Pharisees like, you've done. He's talking and going back and forth with the Pharisees. This was a public ordeal. This wasn't an ordeal in private. Jesus came out and Jesus himself, extremely controversial, comes out and he's getting baptized in the river by John. What's that saying about John's message? It says, I'm aligning myself with what John's saying. I'm down with what John's saying and you're going to baptize me, John. It wasn't a baptism of forgiveness. It was a baptism of repentance. Not that Jesus needed to repent of anything, but Jesus publicly aligned himself with John by affirming his message by being baptized by him. So in John chapter three, where we're reading right now, it goes on about Jesus disciples. They were baptizing, too. And Jesus hadn't died yet. Jesus disciples were baptizing. John's disciples were baptizing. It says here in John 3:22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. It goes on to say it was actually his disciples baptizing, but his disciples were baptizing. What were they baptizing for? Not the forgiveness of sins, because that hadn't been preached yet. That hadn't happened yet. Jesus hadn't died on the cross for anybody's sins yet, but they were baptizing. John was baptizing. And so what we have here is people aligning themselves aligning themselves with Jesus by being baptized. It says, John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized. People were aligning themselves with them. And here we see it's water. It's not a situation that water doesn't exist. Okay, some people think, well, maybe this is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, that it's just like this thing that happens to you. You wake up one morning and then you have the Spirit. You've been baptized in the Spirit. I don't know. It's a feeling. No. Baptism in the Bible is when you are submerged in water. It's, it's being washed. It's being dunked. It's being put into water. And so that's why water is necessary for that. I'm going to give you something. Baptism is a public declaration of a new association. I want you guys to write that one down. Baptism is a public declaration of a new association. Okay, so this is another one of those times, teens, if you've been texting or tweeting or checking the surf report, you could stop right now and just hang on and just check this out. 
Baptism is a public declaration of a new association. Here, I want to let you guys know that it is public. It's absolutely public. It wasn't intended to be private. Our relationship with God is not intended to be private. Like I told you before, there's some things, giving and prayer, that are prescribed to be private. But you know what? Baptism isn't one of those private prescriptions. There's not a private prescription in the Bible for us to be baptized in secret. It's not one of those things. In the New Testament, there is one person or a family of people baptized at night. And that is in the book of Acts. And we see this jailer who basically the prisoners, which are Christians, you know, they were going to be released. And they were like, no, we're here. We didn't go anywhere. Don't harm yourself. The guy was about to commit suicide because he thought that the, the prisoners had escaped because the doors were open. And they're like, we're here. Don't harm yourself. And then he takes his whole family and is baptized that very night. You know, that could have been out of urgency because he thought maybe he was going to get killed by the, the, the government, you know, or the urgency of seeing his state of being in darkness that he got baptized so urgently. So I do see the urgency there, but that's the only baptism that we find that might have been in private. And even if it was in private, it was his whole family. Okay, when you, we're talking about Latin, Latin American countries, what does whole family mean? That means like this network of people. That's like a spider web of people, okay? That's not like, yeah, me and my little nuclear family, me and my, you know, four of us, you know. But no, it says his whole family was baptized. I'm not really sure exactly how many people that was, but anything when it comes to family in these type of countries isn't something that, or in this type of situation, in this culture, wouldn't be something that was a private situation. God never intended in the Bible for baptism to be a private thing. And it doesn't look like even our relationship with God should be something that's private but in our culture today, we like to kind of throw that terminology around like, yeah, it's, it's, it's about my private relationship with God. It's just about me and God. It's me and God. It doesn't matter about everyone else. Yes, it does matter. So I'm going to take you to another scripture here that, that I'm going to kind of um, bring up a controversy. Remember I said in the beginning, baptism can be kind of a touchy subject for some of us, right? The way we baptize, the timing we baptize, who we baptize and why we baptize. These are things that are a little bit touchy. And so I want to bring up here because as I read this, I think that our members feel a little bit uncomfortable with this. Okay. So Christians just know that I'm making our members feel a little bit uncomfortable seeing that it's a public declaration of a new association. I'm going to tell you what that does not mean. It does not mean that it's a symbol. I'm not saying that it's a symbol In no way would I ever say that baptism is a symbol because I don't see that in the new Testament. And the scripture that someone would bring up to me and say, no, baptism is just a symbol of the salvation that you've already already received the scripture they bring up is first peter chapter 3 and verse 20 so i'm going to look at this one right here i'm going to break the scripture down it says in the days of noah so it's referencing the old testament during the construction of the ark in which a few that is eight persons were brought safely through water um it looks like i left out the in-between passage right there okay so here i just want to point out that that god this is talking about an Old Testament situation where Noah, you guys all know Noah, right? The boat, okay, build the boat, put the animals in it, and float it up on water. So this is talking about Noah being saved and God's patience. God is being patient in the days of Noah. And that while this was happening, and it, and it mentions this water of Noah, and it says here, corresponding to that. What is that? That is the illustration of God's patience during the times of Noah and him being saved through water. Here it says, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. 
The first thing here that we see is it says corresponding to that. Now, many of us here who have read the NIV for years, and I'm sure many of us here are fanatics of that, um, I want to let you know there are more accurate versions or translations of the Bible, and there are less accurate. When you take something out of Spanish and put it to English, if you, direct the, if you directly translate it, meaning you go word for word, your sentences don't make sense. It doesn't make sense. There's funny sayings that are really hard to bring into English, and there's funny sayings that are in English that are really difficult to bring into Spanish. So when we take the Greek New Testament and we try to bring it into English, the more accurate we are with, and the more strict we are with our translation, the choppier or the more difficult it is to read. The more difficult it is because it gets choppy. Now, the more poetic it is, the more poetic and the more fluid your translation reads, which I would encourage you guys to read those. They're great, especially if you're a new believer or, or you just like started following Jesus or you just, you know, today's your first day at church. Hey, the poetic translations are great because you're getting the Bible and you're starting to read it. And you're getting into it. But when we're talking about the, the, the more poetic versions, they're less accurate. There's a loss in translation. So here the NIV would, said, would say, it would say that this, this water symbolizes baptism. So the NIV is a less accurate, less accurate translation. Even though it's a less accurate translation, if you know sentence structure and you know how to read English, you can figure out what that means. Okay? This water symbolizes baptism. That's where they get the symbolizes. It doesn't say that baptism symbolizes. It says this water symbolizes baptism. And, and, and the ESV, which is the more accurate version, it says corresponding to that, that of Noah. Baptism now saves you. Let me focus you in on that really quick. Baptism now saves you. Baptism now saves you. It's really hard for me to dismiss that. It's really hard for me to see it another way. When Jesus says, I'm the only way to heaven, I'm the way, the truth, and the light, no one goes to the Father except through me. When Jesus lifts up and he says, hey, listen, I'm going to die on the cross and I'm the only way to go to the Father. When Jesus tells me that, I believe it. And when this, uh, this is what the Bible says, baptism now saves you. It's really hard for me to find a way to dismiss this, write this away, or not understand this. Okay? So it says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. So it's not just like you guys are washing your flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. An appeal. Now the NIV, which again, many of you are friends and fond with, is, is it would say, see, people would say, see, what it is is you're pledging you know, to God, and that's what baptism is. It's a symbol thing and going on and pledge. Well, the word pledge there, as the NIV translated, is not translated any outside Greek, you know, in other Greek manuscripts outside the Bible, is never translated pledge. In the Bible, this is the only one place that it's ever translated this way, to say pledge in the NIV. But NIV translate, translates it poorly. What it says here is it's an appeal to God. Is an appeal the same as a pledge? No, we all know that pledge is for cleaning surfaces. It makes it incredibly clean and like you could like like push your glass and it still slides after you let go of it. Don't you love that? Like a clean surface. That's what we all know what a pledge is. OK, a pledge is like when we pledge allegiance, we're pledging allegiance to something. So the NIV translates to say baptism basically is is this pledge to have a new conscience. Like I'm going to pledge to have a clean conscience in the future. I'm going to pledge to do what's right. But the NIV doesn't say it. I mean, the ESV says that it's an appeal. What's an appeal? 
Appeal is when you're in court and you are already condemned and you appeal or you request a new trial. You request to overturn what the judge has said. So you want to appeal and say, God, please, I pray that you will, even though I'm guilty, that I might be forgiven through the resurrection of Jesus. That's how baptism saves you is through the resurrection of Jesus. And it's appeal to God for a clean conscience. You could write this one down. Baptism is not a symbol. Baptism is not a symbol. It is not a symbol of your salvation. It is not a symbol. The Bible does not say that anywhere that, that it's a symbol of a salvation that you have. It doesn't say that. Not that I know of. And someone you may come, come up to me afterwards. I've been in a lot of Bible studies with a lot of people. And I don't know of any situation that says that. Maybe you do. I don't know. I haven't seen it. But baptism is not a symbol. Baptism is a public declaration of a new association. Baptism is when the Spirit is given and forgiveness is granted. But you might say, so if someone hasn't been baptized, are they going to hell? Chris, are you saying that people haven't been baptized in the way that you're saying they need to be baptized? That they're going to go to hell? Well, it's not up to me. I haven't been to hell yet. Okay, have you been to hell? Okay, I don't know. Maybe you might say differently, you know, if you, situations you've been in. I don't know. But listen, I haven't been to hell. I don't know who's going to hell. I, I'm, I hope that I never go there. I hope you never go there. But you know what? I'm going to obey what I see in the Bible. And I can't go against what the Bible says. I'm like, this is what the Bible says. So can God save someone who hasn't been baptized? I have a great answer for you. If you want it black and white, the answer is yes. God can save people who haven't been baptized because God can save whoever he wants. I'm not God. Neither are you. Or I don't think you are. OK, but you know what? God can save anybody he likes. Our, our friends who are unrepentant, he could, he could uh, save people who haven't been baptized or never heard the gospel. God can do anything he wants. And he gives examples of that in the Bible is anointing people or giving people or showing people outside of his covenant that he blessed and he used as a tool like Melchizedek, which I'm not going to get into, but God can go outside of his covenant. God can go outside of his promise and he could pull in anybody he wants. God can do whatever he wants. He can save anybody he wants. But it's to, it's to my understanding that what the Bible says about salvation, I'm not going to teach outside of that. I'm not going to teach other than that. And I'm not going to teach you that you can be saved without it. You cannot be saved without it according to what God's word says. But the disclaimer is God can do whatever he wants to do. Okay. And then you might also say, remember the thief. Remember the thief on the cross. Jesus was dying on the cross. And next to him, there's these thieves. Okay. And, and one of these thieves is there. And Jesus says, I'm going to see you in paradise. He says, you're going to be saved. You'll say, yeah, what about the, the thief? The thief wasn't baptized. He couldn't repent of sin. He's on the cross. Well, he's got 20 minutes left in his life. Is he going to repent? I'm never going to yell at my wife again. I'm never going to steal anything again. You know, what, what is he going to repent of? He can't repent. And he's there hanging on the cross. Jesus says, I'm going to save you. Guess what I believe? I believe Jesus has the authority to save whoever he wants. Okay, that's one thing. The other thing is that Jesus had not resurrected from the dead. So a baptism wouldn't even occur for the baptism of repentance and for salvation. Okay, repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That hadn't happened yet because Jesus hadn't died and he hadn't resurrected yet. So, yeah, was the thief saved? The thief was saved. Was he baptized? Not that I know of. Did he repent? I have no idea. But Jesus can save whoever he wants. And Jesus had not been resurrected as of that point. So it really wouldn't apply. So 
if you're here today and, and you've had trouble following me, you can maintain weird superstitions if you like. Like if you need, want to baptize your kids and you think that's the end of the road and that's it because that's not it. You don't, once you're baptized, that's the starting blocks of a relationship with God. And God really wants people to get saved. He really is generous. He really is loving and he wants people to get saved. So if you're here today and, and you want to continue to maintain weird superstitions, like I just need to get my ba- kids baptized, that's not true. They need to make an adult decision to get baptized. They need to get baptized after they've waited out and they've decided that they're going to align themselves publicly with Jesus for the rest of their lives. And we can keep putting unhealthy pressure on people to get baptized. But if you don't understand that that's not the end of the road, you won't really realize that and you're going to continue to put unhealthy pressure. Or you could keep coming to church and wait and wait and wait and you're just waiting for a feeling or you don't recognize the significance of how important the Bible says that baptism really is. That maybe you've been coming to church for a year or six months or maybe it's even been a month and you already recognize that you want to align yourself with Jesus. It's time for you to get in the water and to get baptized if you're ready to align yourself with Jesus. And for those of us who have been baptized ready, we need to go public. We need to go public. I don't mean wearing a sandwich board to school and saying you're going to hell. I don't mean like walking around, you know, and and with a big banner or something like that or or doing something crazy and unwise and lame and weird. I'm not saying that, but you need to go public. Maybe it's a conversation that you need to have and say, you know what? No, I don't live like that because of what Jesus has done for me. Someone brings up a conversation. You're like, you shut it down. And you're like, they start telling you something that's like, dude, this is crazy. I'm like, hey, dude, I don't want to hear about what you're telling me right now. Not that I don't care about you, but listen, that's like, I'm not, I do not support living a lifestyle like that. Sometimes you need to stop a conversation. That's really hard when you care a lot what people think around you. We need to go public with the way that we've aligned ourselves with Jesus. My hope is that you won't leave here. If you haven't been baptized, you need to start studying the Bible and get in the water. My hope is that we're going to see lots and lots and lots of people baptized. You guys remember Nico? We talked about Nico. Well, Nico is only mentioned three times in the Bible, and it's all in the book of John. And in the book of John... Nico, in chapter 7, he basically stands up for Jesus and he says, like, no, but I don't think you guys can do that because the law says this. He points out a point in the law to help kind of protect or stand up for Jesus. And then later on in John 19, he's the guy, he's a guy who brings all the embalming equipment. Okay, he brings the material to basically bury Jesus. This guy went from being like seeing Jesus at night and asking questions and not getting it. And Jesus is like, you don't really get it, dude. And then later on stands up for Jesus publicly. And then after that, he's the one who brings the materials to embalm Jesus. This guy became a follower. He came out of the darkness. He came into the light. And my hope is that we can go public with our decision, that you will go public with your decision, that you will get baptized if you haven't been baptized yet. Every person in here needs to be baptized. We need to go public with our decision to align ourselves with Jesus. Have a great video here for you guys to watch. Check out what Francis Chan says. Actually, a lot of my mindset changed a few years ago when some Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door, oddly enough. They, uh, they started talking theology. We started uh, getting in these different discussions. I started pointing different verses out to them. And then ultimately, at the end of it, I said, okay, you guys believe that Michael the Archangel is the same person as Jesus Christ himself. But there is no way on earth you can look me in the eyes right now 
and tell me that you actually came before God one day and said, God, show me the truth. And then you read the Bible for yourself. And at the end of it, you came to the conclusion that I get it. Jesus and Michael, the archangel, are the same person. There's no way you can tell me that. Someone fed that to you because you would never get that from reading the Bible. And so I just encourage them. I go, look, I'm not going to tell you what to believe. I don't want to feed you something else. I'm just encouraging you. Would you just get alone with the Word of God, pray to God and say, God, show me the truth and then read it and see what conclusions you would come to. And they they walked away. It was actually a really good discussion because they walked away and going, you know what? I think I do need to do that. I think I will do that. And I don't know if they ever did, but after they left, I, I started thinking to myself, was I really fair to them? I mean, did I really do that? Did I really one day say, I really want to know the truth? So I, I sat down with the Word of God and began to study and came to these conclusions. Um, honestly, that's not how it happened for me. And a lot of things were fed to me as well. And so I've been on this journey of just thinking to myself, okay, if I were on an island and I just read this book, over and over again and let's say this is the only this is the only influence I had and had anyone preaching to me I had no theology books I was just on this island reading this thing over and over what would I believe just from my readings and studies of this book would I come up with church the way we do it in America probably not and I went through this journey of just trying to figure out my whole belief system and thinking through how much of it was fed to me and how much of it really came from the Bible itself. Think about it. If if all you had was the Bible, would you come to the conclusion after reading this that to become a Christian you would pray a prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart? And, and I know I am totally stepping on some toes right now. I'm just asking, is that really what you would find in here? Or... If you only had the Bible, would you come out thinking, you know, I need to repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit? What would you believe if it were just the Bible? And again, I am not saying that we shouldn't listen to people because there are some amazing teachers in our world and God's gifted some people to be teachers. I'm just saying that biblically we're taught that we should test everything we hear and see if it's really in this book. Okay, the sermon's over. Well, it's great to see you guys. Thank you very much, Chris, for uh, doing that lesson on, on baptism. Yes, well, why, why do we do this lesson today on baptism? Guess what? It's so important. Jesus preached it. He, he pointed people. This is what you need to do. In his last words, and they're going to be on your newsletter, if I could get all the ushers to, to, to grab the newsletter and, and be passing that out, there, there's a dis, some discussion questions you can go over in your small group, in your faith group this week, to really talk about uh, the experience that you had when you were baptized. If you have not yet been baptized and you're an adult or you're a young person that understands what it means, that you get it and you've, you've studied out the scriptures with an adult and, and you've come to that conclusion, then, you know, I encourage you to participate in that discussion. But what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 
He says, go. Go and make disciples of all nations and do what? And baptize them. And so I want to encourage all of us here today, go find someone. Teach them about what it means to follow Jesus. And then what? We've got a baptistry right back there. And we need to use it. We need to use it a lot. A lot of people have pools in their homes. You know, I believe God created pools for baptism. You may think it is for summertime and enjoyment and cooling off. Hey, in the old days, in the first century, you know why they created those tanks that were in front of the steps of the temple in Jerusalem? Baptism. That's what they created. And I was there many years ago. There were literally like 50 tanks, water tanks. They were too, too small for, for apartments. They were water tanks. And so people would come, before they walked into the temple, they would be baptized. And then I imagine, here's Peter preaching this sermon in Acts chapter 2. And he's preaching, repent, therefore, and do what? Be baptized, every one of you. And so how could 3,000 people be baptized in one day? I saw it. They had all these tanks of water. And I said, there it is. And I'm not talking, you know, imagine it. I'm saying, this was architecture. This was this was archaeology right in front of me that they had the tanks for people to be baptized right there at the steps at the foot of the temple in Jerusalem. It was amazing. So I want to encourage you to start thinking about, hey, I need to help people get baptized. I need to talk to people. I need to encourage people. I need to do, do the core four with people. Because when Jesus says, go baptize, guess who he's talking to? No, no, no. Just the ministry staff. Just the ministers, Chris. Oh, maybe the elders too. Chris, Joe, go baptize. Who's he talking to? He's talking to all the disciples. That would be you and me. Well, I don't know if I am qualified to go baptize someone. Hey, let me tell you. If you have studied the Bible and you got baptized, okay, and you have a Bible and you have, you know, maybe some Bible studies to core for, and that makes it really easy. You're qualified. Bring someone to faith. It's not us that brings people to faith. It's God. It's His Word. We're just instruments. We're just like this mic. You know, we're, we're, we're instruments. So I want to encourage all of us today, go public. And it's not just for people who need to get baptized, get public. I want to encourage you to go public with your faith. I want to encourage you to talk to people about what you believe and their need to get right with God. That conversation that I had with my sisters prompted me to start thinking about my eternal destination and prompted me to start thinking, hey, I need to study the Bible and I got I got to get right with God because in my conscience, I knew I wasn't. So I want to encourage everybody, go baptize somebody. Okay, let's do that together because this world needs to get saved. This world needs Jesus. And as far as we can tell in the Bible, it's the only way that we can do it. Amen? Are you with me? Okay, great.